Welcome to the Hopeful Economics Podcast, a ministry of the United Church of Canada, proudly supported by Mission and Service and New Church Ministry of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ in the United States and Canada. With an incredible lineup of speakers, you'll dive deep into the relationship between social enterprise and faith. You'll learn about the economic impact of churches and how to pitch your community of faith to form new partnerships. Hopeful Economics is a way of looking at the world of assets in abundance and making them work for everyone. This content originated from the Hopeful Economics Unconference, a virtual event in March of 2021. Mark your calendars for March 3rd and 4th of 2022 to participate in the next Hopeful Economic Unconference. Faith and Finance. Carter's reports that religion contributes $67.5 billion to Canada's economy. Churches make a difference locally, regionally, and nationally in programs that we provide, space we make available, the suppliers and money we spend, and most importantly, the impact of our people in and around the neighborhood. This session will reveal the economic impact of churches and also help us begin to consider what else is possible. Steffi Swepson Twitty is the CEO of Eagle Market Streets Development Corporation. Kevin Jones of Faith and Finance and Aaron Huker of Provis at Trinity Christian College in Illinois speak about the Community Equity Fund and the Perpetual Mission Fund. The Community Equity Fund, when it's used in a church, we call the Perpetual Mission Fund. And that was really the idea of Aaron Keeker, provost at Trinity Christian College in Chicago. Aaron, briefly introduce yourself and talk about your idea. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. And uh, really great to be with you all virtually right now. So my name is Aaron Keeker. I do serve, as Kevin mentioned, as, as provost at Trinity Christian College. Here in the southwest suburbs of Chicago, Trinity is a small uh, Christian liberal arts institution. It's uh, been around for about 60 years, so pretty young uh, in the world of higher education institutions. We like to think that we're sort of perpetually in startup mode uh, as, a, as a small Christian institution. My work at Trinity has been fueled by my sort of larger work uh, as a New Testament scholar and before that as a pastor, but as a New Testament scholar who's spent time thinking about the formation uh, of Christian communities, and particularly the ways that practices around money and identity and enemy love can shape communities. That's a springboard, I think, for talking about the uh, kind of transformation of the Community Equity Fund towards a perpetual mission fund that can be held by congregations. For me, that idea uh, in engagement with Stephanie and with Kevin came out of a resonance that I began to see between the goods that the fund itself was offering and some really significant threads inside the New Testament. Uh, the vision of the reign of God that Jesus proclaims and enacts, that vision is characterized across the Gospels, but also through the early communities of followers of Jesus. It's, it's characterized by practices of deep generosity and enemy love. Uh, inside that vision, human beings actually are participating in God's way of holding power and resources. That is, God is always using God's power to bless, to give, to help others flourish. 
And so human beings, too, in these stories that Jesus tells in a Jesus way of being are always using their gifts in order to help people flourish, in order to help communities become whole. And in order to draw together deeper connections across lines of difference, that's a part of the gospel. That vision, it dominates Jesus's life-bringing work in the world. And it starts to slowly undo community by community and person by person. Uh, the, the dividing uh, effects of sin, the way that inequity sort of takes root in our communities, Jesus's way of being undoes that. And one of the things that happens uh, as Jesus starts building these new ways of being together is a really beautiful kind of reciprocity. It's not the it's not the coercive reciprocity of the Roman Empire that's more akin to the old Godfather movies. You do a favor for me, uh, or I do a favor for you, and then you owe me one that I can call in. But it's a free conviviality that's rooted in a really deep vision of friendship and free self-offering of one for another. So as I, as I listened to uh, Kevin and Stephanie do this work on the Community Equity Fund, uh, to me, it began to fit a, a felt need at present in the life of congregations. And that is finding practices that lean into Jesus's way of doing economies and handling possessions. That's not easy to do. Uh, our own economic structures and our wider society are so hardwired and our imaginations are so beholden to those that it's not easy to break outside of that and think about other ways of using your resources to do good. Certainly congregations have a long history of using charity to do deep and transformational good in the world. But I began to wonder if the community equity fund held inside congregations could add to that vision in ways that created pathways of friendship uh, and community investment across lines of social difference. In particular, one of the things that the Community Equity Fund, and I'll work now at calling it the Perpetual Mission Fund, can do inside of a congregation is give the congregation an opportunity to take a portion of the money that would typically be in a mission fund or in a benevolence fund and think about what does it look like to use some of that funding to be an investor in the neighborhood, particularly providing friends and family funding for minority-owned businesses that often aren't ready for traditional funding. And what begins to emerge when you think about the actual practices that it would take for a congregation to, to do this work are, are actually some pretty transformational pieces. I'll name a couple of those. I mean, first and foremost, one of the goods that's done is the fact that friends and family equity is put into the hands of small business owners that otherwise couldn't access that. That, of course, does significant work in helping businesses to stand up, to flourish, to close the racial equity gap. So that's a key piece. I'm thinking about this from the inside of a congregation, however, as well. And thinking about what begins to happen if congregations can think about themselves, not just as doing benevolence in their community, but actually being investors in their community. That is, with this perpetual mission fund, congregations actually have a stake in the good of the businesses in their neighborhood. Something different starts to happen there as congregations see their good as tied up a little bit more deeply inside the good of their neighbors. 
I'm curious to explore the way that that can actually help congregations think differently about their sense of place. And I build really quickly on that to say that, uh, especially I'm thinking about our Chicago context right now and the way that this will live inside Chicago. Uh, the way that this fund inside a congregation can generate lines of friendship or can generate friendship across lines of significant social difference. I mean, it remains the case that our Chicago neighborhoods are highly segregated, as are our Christian communities, highly segregated. But what does it look like if congregations can reach towards businesses and begin to root for one another, actually? What does it look like if my congregation, rather uh, than just handing out Thanksgiving turkeys, can understand that as that business that it has a stake in does well, the whole neighborhood starts to flourish? And how might that then begin to reframe other ways that the congregation spends their money? I mean, when we need catering for an event, who are we going to go to if not the small business owner whose catering business we're helping to, to invest in? I think those lines of friendship across social distance, uh, difference, helping people come to know one, one another, helping people come to know folks that in our more divided society, we might not normally have friendship stakes in and with. It's a really powerful piece of this puzzle. And then two more things. One is, I love the fact that setting this inside of a congregation uh, makes congregations confront the question as the return comes back from those business owners. So what are we going to do with this money now for the good of our neighborhood? And the opportunity for this fund to generate an evergreen stream of ongoing funding that can be turned back towards the neighborhood is really powerful. When a congregation has to think about how to use its resources, it really has to sort of put into practice uh, an embodiment of its values. And I think this fund actually gives congregations the challenge of figuring out how to do that uh, in a way that is in line with their deepest commitments. And then the last thing I'll say is this, uh, at least with regard to formational impact. As you imagine your way uh, into the sort of cycles of reciprocity and generosity that this fund uh, offers inside of a congregation, I, I want to think too about what that means for the small business owners who are supported by it. Because what's really happening uh, in this movement is, is not so much just uh, a lending strategy or access to equity but it really is a different kind of economic cycle. So that congregations are investing in their neighborhoods, but business owners, as they return that investment, aren't uh, just paying money back to a bank, but, but they actually know that as they pay back the equity that's been given to them, they're putting it back into their communities, paying it forward for the next generation of businesses to be supported by the fund. So there's a real mutuality going on here that both uh, dignifies those who are receiving the equity, but also invites them to see themselves as contributors in a, in a wider neighborhood ecosystem that's going to do good for subsequent generations uh, of business owners. And so I think that's really exciting. I think it's one way, it's not the only way, but I think it's one way that congregations who right now are really thinking hard about how do we do what we can do in our place about the racial equity gap, and in particular, the wealth gap, that is hampering so many communities. This is a practical solution for that. Um, that's actually pretty actionable. And it's a way to, uh, to cite Robin Kimmerer that we can sort of keep the gift in motion, continue these cycles of generosity uh, in which funding goes into the 
neighborhood comes back and goes back into the neighborhood to do a lot of good. So I think the time is right for this. I think that's one of the things that that is exciting to me about it. I think this can frame and shape uh, congregational imaginations in ways that are resonant with that vision of the divine economy that Jesus sort of holds out for us. So I'll, I'll pause there maybe and Kevin, turn back to you to talk a little bit about some of the practices that you see more particularly underneath this, especially maybe as it relates to uh, the, the place of younger Christians in, inside of these congregational communities. Thanks, Aaron. That was a really good telling of the story. I appreciate being involved in this with you. And we're working with uh, congregations here in Asheville, North Carolina, and uh, Lake Providence, Louisiana, who are also trying to bring the Perpetual Mission Fund in to uh, invest and create new relationships between black and white Christians and uh, and even non-Christians, but the, the Christians to be engaged in the local economy in a new way. Uh, and, and one of the things we've cooked up inside this is that when the money comes back uh, and it's paid by revenue share and it comes back in about the fourth year or so and starts coming back and then keeps coming back, we've set up a thing that we're calling the uh, Future Resilience Bond, just a name we made up, that half of the money that comes back would be given to the young people of the church to decide what to do with. So if you put $5,000 in and you have a couple thousand dollars that, that would come to the young people to decide, and they would decide what to do that could create resilience in the future. You know, Texas does not have resilience right now during this crisis. So they could create a resilience in the future. And it, the, the two stipulations we put on it uh, that we want to see how it works in our congregation are that the young people would be deciding that how to how to spend that money how to give that money how to invest that money how to use that money in something that would take longer than five years to come to pass so it's not immediate low-hanging fruit it's letting the kids design the future and then the second part of that is as they design the future they have a responsibility to go to the community of the people they've invested in it could be let's say an african-american uh uh, owner of a landscape um, business that we're investing in in Asheville. And we would go to him and we would maybe go to his pastor and his church. He's a member of a Methodist, uh, African Methodist Episcopal AME church. And we'd say, let's get your young people together. And, and we sit down, you know, teenagers with teenagers to decide what we do in the future as this money comes in and as it keeps coming in. And so it's young people designing the future at least five years out. That could be longer. Uh, and But you're doing it with people that, you know, there probably aren't a lot of relationships across those neighborhoods. But, they're, you know, you have a, what we're calling, you know, a, a harvest premium. And so you decide what to do with that harvest premium, one young people group along with another. And so you can look at long-term problems like the redlining of neighborhoods, like the health gap that happens in red line neighborhoods. Uh, if you look at right now, if you look at COVID infections in red line neighborhoods, places where that was disinvested because the government didn't want to uh, invest in the mortgages of uh, African-Americans, you see that their health is impacted. So you start looking at all the various causes uh, and of poverty, the, the contributing factors, and you can say, we're going to make a bet long-term on some things, maybe a whole lot of things, but it lets them study the problem with some money to think about a solution long-term and you're deciding the future and designing the future with young people 
in other neighborhoods across race and across classes. So I think it's a it's an interesting thing. And then it's the kind of thing where if the young people, you know, if my grandsons who are in, in this age are, are designing the future and putting some money toward it, you know, I as a grandfather are going to put $3 for every $1 of theirs because I'm so excited to see my grandsons decide the future and design the future. So I think it can be a really interesting ways for uh, churches who are having some a lot of problems having something attractive for young people to engage in that has meaning. And they can engage with local businesses and understand the problems those local businesses have, help those local businesses, but then decide when those local businesses pay them back what they do in the future. So let's let the young people have the power and the agency to design the future. And that's what I think we think can be really interesting if we work with, I'm imagining a lot of youth ministers are going to be really liking this as a, it's a lot better than field trips and pizzas. And so I think it can be really intriguing. And I think we're going to also build a network of the places where this is happening, you know, in Lake Providence, Louisiana, at a church in Chicago, at the ones in Nashville, to see, let the young people talk to each other about what their decisions are. And so we, I think we can do, you know, peer learning of other young people who are designing the future, and they're designing the future locally. You know, what are the problems here? And what are the problems where we are? And what do we have in common? So I think it can be really, and, and the thing is, this thing, the way it's designed will keep paying off after about year four. And it'll keep paying off essentially forever. This It's set up as a 25-year fund that then you'd have to put more money in. But you can design the future and let the young people design the future, putting their faith to work for economic justice. I think it could be a lot of fun. How would you imagine? So that's kind of the end of the story. Uh, but how, how would you imagine it might work in your church, Aaron? Yeah, I think, uh, Kevin, one of the things I feel most excited about is, well, I guess there's sort of two threads for me. One is um, actually the conversations that this begins to generate right off the bat are a different kind of conversation. Uh, right. They, they really do call for uh, intentional thinking about what it means to be a good partner inside of a neighborhood. Now, our church is doing that all the time uh, right now already. Right. But something different happens, I think, when you, when you start to take this sort of lens that's looking more broadly at kind of um, uh, both of the sort of wealth gap in particular, but, but also I, I think thinking more broadly about what does it look like to cultivate those friendships. And so I, right. I think conversations that kick up are really interesting. And I, I think the other piece of that is that I'm convinced that this is going to continue to unearth gifts inside of both congregations and neighborhoods that we might not otherwise have noticed. Uh, I think when we're stakeholders in one another, we're gonna find folks inside a congregation who might say to a business owner, hey, I could give a little bit of time to that, or I've got some experience here. Or right. um, I used to be a bookkeeper uh, and I'm, you know, I'm retired right now. Can I do a little bit to support you? And so I think we're gonna see the way that gifts can be activated. And again, it's because what we're doing here is really uh, creating some uh, relationships of mutuality. Right. So that's one piece of the puzzle. The second thing for us is, um, you know, we have a, a our the youth of our church are pretty engaged right now uh, in thinking about uh, issues of justice and equity from a Christian perspective. This gives them real work to do 
uh, actually. And that's exciting. So, you know, uh, as you said, for every dollar that they uh, invest, you know, their, their grandpa might drop in three more. I think we're going to see that a little bit more broadly as well as, as you figure out, hey, it's not just learning about the gifts and opportunities in our neighborhood. But it's actually thinking about how can we create ways of living together uh, that amplify those gifts and help to address some of those challenges. Yeah. You know, when we built the largest Habitat for Humanity chapter uh, in the country in Jackson, Mississippi, uh, we discovered that we were changing the story that white folks had of the Midtown Jackson, which was the African-American neighborhood we worked in. And we would bring um, a prospective homeowner into every white group we could, from the Rotary Club to the Junior League to a Sunday school to even law firm and accounting partnerships. And we said, look, this is not a handout to the needy. This is a bootstrapping project. They're putting in 500 hours. And we would come away with the $30,000 from each of those groups that you need to build a house. And then there was engagement afterwards. So I think we're changing the story uh, about folks who we think of that they need philanthropy and it's like, no, they're paying us back. And we actually can decide what to do with the money after the fund gets replenished and the fund recycles. But then the money that comes back to the church, we decide together what to do. And I think one of the things I've found uh, as a well-meaning white guy doing these deals is that my solutions are often really conditioned by my culture and my privilege. And I don't realize how my solution could work in my neighborhood, but it couldn't work in a neighborhood that has been disinvested in for a long time. So you'll, you, they'll find out the structural reasons for poverty, the, the ways that redlining makes people less healthy, that makes their houses less valuable, all those kinds of things. And by, by putting it out that we want a solution that won't come true at all for five years, we'll put them away from the immediate to see what are the long-term things. So we're helping kids think long-term with a stream of money that will keep coming in and then can be replenished from, by more church mission funds. But I think it's the engagement around shared abundance, the shared, you know, what we're calling the harvest premium that could be really transformative and build new relationships. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited to, to try it in the churches that are, that are, that are wanting to do it. We've got a vehicle that will pay back and will keep paying back. Uh, every, every dollar you put in will be recycled into another dollar, into, uh, into another business. So if you put up $5,000, that 5000 becomes another 5000 becomes $10,000 in five years. But you get money back. So you get money to decide the future, and you let the kids decide the future rather than old white men who think they know what they're doing. So it's it's a kind of a thing where the old white guys will be listening to, one, kids from other neighborhoods, and two, their own kids and their grandsons and their granddaughters. So I, th I think it, it could be really uh, – it could change all kinds of stories and all kinds of mindsets through relationships but that are not needy and dependent relationships, but are relationships of reciprocity that they're paying back. They're investable. It's a new story. If you're interested, contact us. We're interested in, in rolling this out in other churches. Aaron, do you have anything you want to close with? I'll just uh, to say thanks for uh, the time this morning and thanks for listening patiently to us and, and uh, just to underscore what Kevin said, it's been fun to watch the beginnings of a network of con congregations emerge, and, and we would welcome uh, additional interest in that. Right. And our, the site where we'll be showing the stuff is faithfinance.net, 
the words faith, finance, and .net, and you can contact us. Our, our contact info will be here too. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Hopeful Economics Podcast, a ministry of the United Church of Canada, proudly supported by Mission and Service, and New Church Ministry of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ in the United States and Canada. The Hopeful Economics Podcast is produced by Resonate Media. In the spirit of the unconference, we'd love to invite you into the conversation. Subscribe, review, and comment on our social media channels. A special thank you to those that partnered to make the Hopeful Economics possible. 1001 Worshiping Communities, Alterna, Buy Social, Faith and Finance, Metcalf Foundation, United Church of Christ, Rooted Good, Toronto Neighborhood Centers, Community Innovation Hub, and learn about Resonate Media at ResonateMediaPro.com. Thanks for listening and continue to share the blessings of health and wealth with everyone.